I would really encourage people just to do a backpack because there's something exhilarating about carrying everything you need on your back and you have you have carried it and living off of that i mean it's it it gives you this insight into being human and aging that because in a way that's that's what we do in life i mean we accumulate all this stuff but really we come in and we go out with what with what we you know with what with just our bodies and so it gives you this really strong sense of what it means to be human Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are changing the way we think about what is possible in our lives, especially as we age. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Her CD, Buffalo Motel, is out now, and you can find out more about Judy on her website, judybanker.com. In my interview with DJ Lee, we're going to find out how many women in her life really embraced the wilderness, and these were women who were not in their 20s. Uh, She herself did not go into the wilderness until she was 45 years old, and her mentor, who she writes about in her book, Remote, was still volunteering well into her 70s. So that is something that, uh, a theme that runs through our conversation about how women of all ages are really embracing the experience of being in the wilderness. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, as always, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. So let's begin. When DJ Lee's dear friend vanished in the wilderness of the Selway Bitterroot, she decides to try to find her. Her journey answers some of the questions she had always had about her troubled family and their own history in this remote place. In this book, DJ Lee learns how to embrace the land and her past. It's an intimate look at one woman's relationship with the wilderness and the ghosts from her past. Welcome to the show, DJ. Well, thank you for having me, Nicole. I was fascinated by your book, and um, what I realized is that you didn't go into the wilderness until you were 45 years old, And it's a pretty intimidating and dangerous place. Can you talk about uh, how you decided to do that and what gave you the courage to go into this deep, remote place? Yeah, well, thank you so much, Nicole. Um, As I talk about my book, uh, my grandmother passed away when I was in my late 30s, and she 
uh, on her deathbed, she gave me this box that was about the size of like a small suitcase. And she said, you know, this is for you. Take, take everything you need out of this. Um, I was, I'm a scholar and a, an archivist by training. And so I had, you know, an inkling of what was in it because I did like remove the lid to see that, that it was a bunch of documents and mm -hmm. newspaper clippings and photographs. But because, um, of the relationship that my mother and my grandmother had and that my mother and I had, I was afraid to sort of dip into that box. And so I waited a few years. Uh, when I finally did open it, I realized that everything in the box pointed to this wilderness area in Idaho and Montana that I'd really never heard of. I've, I'd heard the term wilderness, but I just had never heard about this specific place. And I really didn't know the formal definition of a wilderness. Um, about that same time, my father and my husband and one of my brothers also um, took an interest in this wilderness area, kind of from a different angle. Uh, because my mother had known about it. So we both, my mother and I and my family, my father and my husband and, and one of my brothers, we all sort of kind of came together and went to this wilderness. Uh, I was primarily trying to figure out who, exactly who my grandmother was because mm -hmm. I was very close to her, but there was a lot of, about her I didn't know. And there were a lot of secrets surrounding yes, Esther. Yes, mm. a lot of secrets and, and my grandfather who died when I was two, I knew nothing about him, but he had come to this wilderness in uh, the 1920s, early 1920s uh, with my grandmother, but it was a part of her life I had no idea. So I had no idea what I was getting into when I first <laughs> hiked back there. It was like Pandora's box, actually. <laughs> it was, physically and emotionally. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of went without, without knowing what I was getting into physically. I, I, I just had no idea. I kind of thought I was maybe hiking through a national park or something mm -hmm. where there's, mm -hmm. there could With be... With trail markers yeah, and, and sign-in boxes. Exactly. And, you know, little ranger huts every five miles. <laughs> no. Roads, no. Nothing uh -huh. like that. What was your, do you remember your first impression um, of of the Selway Bitterroot? Uh, and just to clarify for, for our listeners, this is a a tract of land between Idaho and Montana. Is that right, DJ? Yeah, it's a um, 1.3 million acre roadless land and wilderness. Um, so some of the rules of wilderness is there are no roads. There's no machinery um, except uh, bush, bush planes have been grandfathered in. Uh, for firefighting. So little bush planes can land on like there's three little airports, uh, little grassy airfields throughout the wilderness. Um, and um, no wheels for uh, either. Um, 
and and it's also joined to the 3.4 million acre Frank Church Wilderness of No Return and the Gospel Hump Wilderness. So together it makes up a track of roadless land uh, about the size of the state of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And so you, this is before you met Connie, is that correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is before Connie comes in the picture. We'll talk about her in a moment. But so you're all coming in for kind of different reasons, although it sounds like you knew that you had deep historical roots in this wilderness. Yes. Okay. What was it? What was it like? First of all, um, again, there there are trails, but but sometimes the trails just end and you have to find your way with your GPS and your maps. Uh, sometimes you think there's a, a place to get water and, and the stream is dried up, so there you are with no water and you have to try to figure out what to do. There are all kinds of dangerous animals back there. Mm-hmm. From rattlesnakes to, uh, there are even a few grizzlies back there, but um, black bears, moose. Uh, in fact, a a mama moose with her with her baby is the most dangerous animal back there. Mm-hmm. Much more dangerous than a bear. Um, and so, you know, there, which is what makes it really cool. And there's very very few people. Uh, I've been back there hiking, like, you know, I've done many since that time, 50-mile backpacks, and maybe see one other person in 10 days. And the people that you meet, you describe as, uh, we'll say, um, eccentric. Uh, Yeah, and I think for the book, I did pick out some of the more eccentric folks, but it takes a pretty special person to actually get to the trailhead of this place. I mean, from New York Mm -hmm. City, it would take you a couple of days just for flights and rental cars and driving to the trailhead. And then Mm. actually deciding to backpack Mm. 50 miles or 70 miles. Uh, You know, you you have to be a certain kind of person. And I think I would describe that as having a certain intensity and a certain Mm. comfort with risk and the unknown. Mm -hmm. So how did you prepare for this? I mean, you know, it's not like you just don't go to your local (laughs) store and say, I'm going to go on this wilderness hike. And they they say, oh, we have the wilderness package. Here you go. I mean, I, I... if this isn't just like, uh, you know, you're camping with your family and on the way home you stop at the strip mall and get some breakfast. <laughs> it just seems like yeah. a totally different adventure that is very unique and you'd have, to, um, you'd have to be very thoughtful about how to prepare. Well, yeah, so um, my father, when he first realized that this wilderness was out there. And for reasons that are totally different from mine, he 
studied. My, my father just, you know, he's a plumber, but he's extremely intellectual plumber, the most intellectual plumber <laughs> you'll, you'd ever meet. So he just bought all these books and he studied on, you know, with backpacking, the big thing is size versus weight. So you want to get the smallest possible thing and the lightest possible thing that is going to take you through these, you know, seven to to 12 days that you're going to be out there living off only what's in your on your back. And so he really, you know, helped prepare my husband and I, which and we were the went with him the first time that we went in there um, on how to you know, how to pack for this and what to bring. Like, like, do I bring a book or do I bring fingernail <laughs> clippers? Well, actually, finger, fingernail clippers come in a lot more handy more than a handy. book when you're out there. Yeah. So that's basically uh, my father and then myself and my husband. Well, we all just sort of took, it, took the lead. Uh, he took the lead and we learned from him but we did make a few mistakes like my husband brought his uh electric razor which was super heavy and uh -huh. you don't need a and so we were like you gotta get rid of that you know <laughs> so see. so it is a kind of trial and error but there are books out there um, that that uh i think we we bought a few books and just really studied up on it um do you remember how it um, affected you doing that first hike, doing, um, you know, going into the wilderness with your dad and your husband. Do you remember the impact it had on you? Yeah, I mean, I had all of these moments um, of awe, uh, you know, especially um, because you're out there in this place uh, you know, miles and miles, probably, you know, like 200 miles from the nearest hospital. Well, maybe not that far, but like maybe 100 miles from the nearest hospital. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, we didn't have a satellite phone. We didn't have like a spot to sort of call in if we, uh, you know, if we got in danger. And, and it's, it's extremely empowering um, to get back there and realize that you've walked, mm. you know, 20 miles with, and everything you need is on your back. Mm -hmm. There's no stores, you know, there's no hospitals. There are no, um, no emergency person that you can call. Um, it, it was, it's a little terrifying. I was going to say, I mean, self-reliance <laughs> is a great thing, but you want to have the option if you need yes. help. You had no option. You mm -hmm. were in there and it was mm -hmm. just you, mm -hmm. your dad and your husband and what mm -hmm. you brought. Yeah. And, and I did have, and this is in the book, I did, I did have this thought like the, this, the, the second day I had, I had a really hard time. I mean, I had blisters, I had scrapes, I had bruises, I had blood, dried blood running down my legs when we finally got to our camp spot. And, but at the same time, I had these endorphins pulsing through my body and we were, we were camped right next to this, this, you know, thousand foot granite rock face mm -hmm. with this, this, uh, 
you know, wild and scenic river crashing down in front of us. Mm -hmm. And I just felt, you know, completely in awe, completely exhausted. But, uh, you know, I had this feeling like I could, we could just vanish out here and nobody would know for days. Do you think it was an important thing for you to do with your husband in terms of sharing this intense relationship? Uh, yeah, it was. My husband and I have been together since we were teenagers. Like <laughs> at this point, we've been together for around 40 years. So mm -hmm. uh, we're very, very comfortable with one another, even at that point. Um, it... Um, yeah, it was definitely something that brought us close looking back, you know, when I, 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 he, he was very caring and patient with me, but also I have this kind of stubbornness to me and when I, an independence. And so when he would try to help me, um, at one point we got stuck in this field of blowdowns for an entire day where I was client, we were climbing mm. over these huge trees, um, like one after another with our 50 pound packs and it was just exhausting and he kept trying to help me and I was like, no. Mm. And, and he, you know, backed off and he was like, I, I get it. Um, he himself you know, needed his own energy to keep going. So there were moments like that that I look back on with great tenderness and affection that I do think um, has informed our marriage going forward. I, you know, I, I, I can imagine you... Uh, if he were not with you and you would come home and say, oh, I have to tell you all about this, it would never really translate no. into the powerful experience it sounds like it was. Well, and I have gone back there many, many times since by myself mm -hmm. uh, with, and with um, girlfriends, you know. Uh, a few years ago, a friend and I hiked 50 miles. She was actually from the East Coast. She's from Baltimore, but spent a lot, lot of years, her years in New York City. Mm -hmm. She wrote for the Village Voice and she, she wanted to know what this place was. So she and I did a long backpack, uh, back there and, and, uh, she was pretty amazed at the place. Anyway, my husband is very comfortable I mean, not that I need his permission, but when I go back there for weeks at a time by myself, mm -hmm. or I, I fly back there with a bush pilot, he, he's very, calm, you know, he just says, okay, sure, because, you know, we had that very, that first very tense, intense experience. And you became pretty friendly with this bush pilot. Yeah, um, Dick Walker, he... Uh, is he lives up on a mountaintop about an hour and a half southeast of me near the wilderness and he's pretty he has a lot of documents himself and a, for, a forest service archaeologist introduced uh, or gave me his name and I got in touch with him mm -hmm. um, he's fairly uh, protective of his documents um, mm -hmm. so she said kind of like, well, good luck with that, but here's his <laughs> name. And so I started driving up there on weekends when I wasn't teaching or on days when I had a day off of teaching. And 
just slowly got to know him and he was this incredible archive in and of him you know unto himself he flew me back there many many times um there's two particular little airstrips uh one is at a place called moose creek and another is a place called shearer and uh, they're about 20 miles apart and there's no other way to get back there except for walk or ride, ride a horse or mule. So he, uh, yeah, I just spent a lot of time learning about the history of the place and really learning, you know, from both him and my friend Connie, um, how mm, to be yeah. back there, you know, how to be comfortable back there. Mm, I, want to, I want to talk about Connie, but I did want to just mention um a fairly harrowing plane ride you had with dick yeah we uh were flying in to to see the salmon spawning in the upper selway river and it's a there's a secret spot up there that dick is extremely protective of and he would not even allow me to say where it is there there is a photo of it in my book but i'm mm -hmm. not allowed to talk about where it is but the salmon uh it's one of the spawning areas that the salmon still migrate to in the spring and in the late summer more in the late summer there's two salmon runs but uh he had heard from a, a wildlife biologist that the 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 fish were coming up at the certain day and he called me up. I was in the Las Vegas airport. He's like, can you be here tomorrow <laughs> or tonight or something? And whenever he called, I would always just do whatever I could to be there because I realized that the opportunity would never present itself again. So I changed my flight in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. you know, flew to Spokane, got a car, drove to his place, which was about a three, three hour drive. And the next morning we were in the air flying into this remote airstrip, just a little grassy airfield, very, very difficult for pilots. You have to be a really good pilot to get into this place. And the air grew really bumpy and the plane was, I guess it was, um, it felt like we were um, ascending and descending, but actually we were kind of circling around, I guess. Mm -hmm. But but I, yeah, I just, I, I, I thought we were going to be, there have been a number of small bush plane crashes back there. Like there's airplane parts, you know, if mm. you, uh, oh my goodness. in the sides of mountains that are still there and I just was like I mean it's a risk it's another risk mm. uh, so but we we made it he's a very good pilot they say that um, a good pilot is you know an old pilot is a good pilot <laughs> ah because they haven't crashed right <laughs> I see I see oh my goodness and Dick is a very good pilot so we mm. made it but it's it's kind of scary being up there in a small plane. You're, you're very mm -hmm. close, you know, very close to mountains, and you can hear everything, you know. It's, mm. it, yeah, it's 
feels very close. Mm -hmm. The world feels very close up there. Let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Copper Compression, for supporting the Zestful Aging podcast. Copper Compression was in the news recently when they donated their entire stock of 18,000 masks to New York and New Jersey hospitals. Thank you so much for that. We're happy to work with a brand that has its values in the right place. Copper Compression offers a full range of copper-infused wellness products like braces, gloves, and sleeves that provide targeted relief and the support you need through your active recovery. They have the highest copper content on the market, guaranteed. Copper-infused fabric is really an amazing material. It has antimicrobial and anti-odor properties, and it helps increase blood flow. This unique combination of compression and copper gives you the strength to heal. Many of you know that I'm an avid tennis player, and over the years I've had to deal with the pain of plantar fasciitis. And for those of you who haven't experienced it, it literally feels like walking on little nails. It is very painful. Uh, But their plantar fasciitis foot supports have really helped me. They're also offering a generous 30% off on your first order just for zestful aging listeners. So go to coppercompression.com forward slash zestful aging, or you can just use the promo code zestful aging at checkout for your discount. Again, a big thanks to Copper Compression for their support. Do you want to talk a little bit about Connie and uh, one of the things you you mentioned about Connie is um, along with this theme of of aging well is that she was also in her middle age when she became involved with the wilderness yeah Um, and Connie is uh, the first time I heard Connie was her the first time I heard Connie's name was on the drive up to the trailhead, the very first time I had, I stepped foot in the wilderness with my dad and my father. And Connie, um, she was the wilderness ranger back there. So my father had actually spoken to her about the trail and what it was like and what, you know, where the water sources were and stuff like that. And so the, the person who was driving us up to the trailhead, the person we had hired to do that, was talking about her like she was this movie star, like she was a celebrity. Mm-hmm. And my father was also talking about her with great admiration. So that was my very first time I ever heard her name. So that impression stuck with me. These, these you know, older men hero worshiping her. Uh, Um, I didn't meet her until a few years later when I volunteered back in the wilderness as a, it's called a wilderness host. And I was back there for six weeks and um, she had hired me uh, over the, over the internet, you know, over email. Uh And so I, 
again, I hadn't met her, but when I was a volunteer back there, it's at, at the ranger station that's about 25 miles in uh, from the wilderness boundary, all of these people would come back and say, is Connie here? Mm-hmm. And I'd say, no, it's just me, this person who doesn't really know anything. And they would just be very disappointed. So, uh, the, so her stature was so built up for me uh, in my mind. And finally, at the end of that summer, which was 2005, she did come back there to relieve me uh, of my duties. And she was she was all that i mean she <laughs> she could parachute out of airplanes like a firefighter at that point she was like 63 she was parachuting mm-hmm. out of airplanes she had a full mule team that she had she was a master horse person she was um you know could carry a 75 pound backpack mm-hmm. she took uh she was extremely community-minded. She took uh, Iowa farm kids, because she was raised in Iowa, out into the wilderness every year to do trail maintenance and fire, um, you know, like um, wrap ranger stations in foil so they would not oh. um, get, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't... Um, be destroyed in, in fire because every year that land has fires. Um, she just was inc- this incredible teacher. She had been a teacher um, before she became a wilderness ranger, and she just was extremely generous, extremely giving. Um, she was the kind of person that, as soon as you met her, one of those people that just was super welcoming and made you feel like she's your you know your mentor or your parent mm-hmm. or your you know the 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 aunt that <laughs> was always the cool in, aunt yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly the cool aunt and so uh i was in i did have a lot of hero worship for her myself which is odd because i'm not the kind of person who really gives people that power over me. I don't really have heroes too mm. much, but she was someone I, even in her, whenever I was in her presence, I was just, I just knew I, I have to learn everything I can from this person because she is this enlightened being that, and, but, but at the same time, she, she was a, just, you know, she was a human being who wanted to, uh, connect with people so she was a very special person and not just to me but to hundreds of people Mm -hmm. literally hundreds you would hear her on the radio right Mm -hmm. before you even met her yeah so she would be uh she had these groups of iowa uh, farm kids and they would be you know 15 miles deeper into the wilderness uh, clearing trail and trying to stay ahead of a fire and 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 so I would have to report back to the the station that was actually in the small town just outside the wilderness so she'd be like 15 miles from me but her voice 
they were so ba far back in the wilderness that mm -hmm. she, she could not call to the ranger station in the small town. Oh, so she would have to call to me. Then I would have to call to the to the ranger station in the small town. And so I would hear her voice, and it was always very staticky and crackly. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's that was yeah. That's the first time I actually spoke to her was over those crackly radio calls. Mm-hmm. It sounds like she was a really important person in your life. She was, and she she was one of those people that, I mean, you wouldn't see her that often. I don't think anybody did because that's how the wilderness is. You you hear about people, and uh, but you don't see them as often as you would in the front country because it's just harder to get, you know, it's harder to walk 15 miles than it is to drive a car. Mm -hmm. So, um, but she was really important to a lot of people. Um, but but she, uh, this was in 2018 in October. She was um, 76. She was 76 years old, and she was still volunteering back there. She hadn't been. Um, she never stopped going back there and training wilderness interns and um, doing trail maintenance with with kids. And then she, in the fall, she would cook for hunting camps. She was an amazing cook, a backcountry mm -hmm. cook. And so she'd gone back to cook for these hunters who were friends of hers. Uh, it was an outfitter. I don't know if you're familiar with outfitters. Uh, not not particularly I could mm -hmm. I could hazard a guess but why don't you uh, explain it yeah well there's outfitters you know all over the globe people that you pay to guide mm -hmm. you back there and they have all the equipment and I see. so there's outfitter huntings uh, hunter outfitters so I these, see um, you can hire them to do you know elk hunting is a big one um, in the fall so they were back there uh, with some clients, these outfitters who are friends of hers, and she was at their hunting camp, and they they went to a different hunting camp uh, to higher ground. She, uh, they were back at a place called Big Rock, which is, I know, I know, I keep saying this about the wilderness, but it's about as far away as you can get from any uh, place uh, uh -huh. in this wilderness, and. She had gone, apparently, uh, they were going to be gone for two or three days, and she was there by herself with her dog, which is completely normal for Connie. She loved being back there by herself. She'd spent thousands and thousands of hours hiking and riding mm -hmm. her horse and uh, camping by herself. Like She loved being by herself back there. Um, so she went for a little walk, apparently, as far as people know, um, that uh, one of the days that she was back there and never returned. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of, a lot of people were um, completely broken up by the fact mm -hmm. that Connie disappeared back there because she had been on many search and rescue missions herself. Mm -hmm. She knew that place probably better than anyone. And 
uh, yeah, I mean, what happened is still a mystery. You know, it just was really, really hard to think of her back there by herself without one of us back there to, you know, rescue her, just as she had rescued so many people, mm -hmm. not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> so you went looking for her. Well, I was I couldn't be on the search and rescue mission because I was teaching, mm -hmm. and I. But I had been camping at one of the trailheads um, called Big Fog Saddle, where you can actually go to Big Rock. I mean, it's about a fifteen-mile hike, but I had been camping back there all all fall. I, every weekend, I would pile my tent and my backpack and some food in my car and drive to the trailhead and hike a few miles and camp there. And so I had already been doing that by the time she disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, so I just kept going back there. Uh, I could not really, because I would have needed like a, a full day or two just to hike to the to big rock and i didn't mm -hmm. have that time because i was teaching full time so i i went back there camping but i i didn't actually join the search and rescue team was that something that you were tempted to do i t i completely would have would have gone back there if i if I wasn't teaching and mm -hmm. had responsibilities to my students and my colleagues. But yeah, I completely would have, although I'm not sure they wanted just every person back there, but so many people just dropped everything from all over the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously, all over the country dropped what they were doing and they went back there to try to help out. Um, so... When, when one, in the book, one of the chapters uh, towards the end, I talk with a woman who did just that. She and Connie were very close, and she dropped everything and flew, uh, flew into the, one of the ranger stations on, on a bush plane and then just set out uh, hiking by herself to the, this even more remote place at Big Rock, even though people were looking at her and asking her like, uh, you know, you're not really part of the search and rescue team. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I don't care. I'm going to go back there and help out anyway. And uh, so she, she tell, she, part, part of her story is, is in the book toward the end because she was an, another amazing person in her 40s, you know, in her okay. 40s, dropping everything and loading up her backpack and just doing what Connie would have done. Why do you think pres preserving wilderness places is important? Uh, well... There's a lot of reasons. I mean, the the big reason that people who study wilderness talk about, and I agree with this, is that it's one of the only places le left on 
like if you have a large area, you know, uh, 500,000 to a million acres of land that has been, that hasn't been developed by humans, it's been mm-hmm. left to more or less um, evolve in the way that a natural space would. Um, it's a habitat for animals and plants. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know how nature would evolve on its own because we've messed with every single living thing uh, that's on the planet. I mean, mm-hmm. even even a wilderness area is contaminated with, um, you know, the, uh, the 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 radiation from the nuclear bomb, the uh, radioactive isotopes. So mm. e- even that has been and acid rain. Mm-hmm. I would have. Yeah. I know that's a problem in the Adirondacks. Yeah. So we really even can't say that a wilderness hasn't been touched by humans, but that is minimal. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's important because, I mean, number, a big reason is that, um, like in this area, the uh, Salish and the Nimipu tribes have been living on this land for, you know, 12 to 15,000 years at least. And they... Uh, at least the the Nimipu people that I know, they they know about this land in ways that white people <laughs> have no idea because it's it's uh, the knowledge of of the land has been handed down through their uh, stories and tra- and oral traditions. So it's really important for them and. But it's also important for the animals and plants, mm-hmm. um, and then it becomes important for just anyone, whether you're you live in the U.S. or not. And and there's there's these kind of wilderness areas throughout the world. Um, the U.S. has its own special definition and rules for wilderness, but it's it's a global um, concept. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, for me, the big part is the spiritual aspect because you, uh, a person who walks back into a wilderness and spends a few days, and, and by the way, part of being a wilderness is, uh, it's, it's wilderness is a place um, where humans uh, do not remain. So you can only be back there for three weeks at a time before. I see. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't like stay for three months or anything mm. unless you're working back there. I okay. Yeah. So it's just it's just the spiritual. Uh, there's this, a spiritual aspect to it that really can't be quantified and really can't be described in in language, but it. I mean, every time you try to describe it in language, like it shows you how small you are, you know, compared to mm. this vast land. It sounds kind of trite, but it's a it's just this incredible feeling and awareness um, and and richness that mm-hmm. it gives you. Uh, do, do you think of yourself as a different woman, like before you stepped into the wilderness and afterwards? 
Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I, I mean, at the time, at the time that I was uh, first learning how to be back there, I did feel like it was opening up a new, different part of me. Um, I, I don't. I'm you know I'm a fairly cerebral, intellectual person, and it was putting me in touch with my own embodiment. It was putting me in touch with um, a sensual part of me that mm -hmm. I don't access very much because I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor and is mm -hmm. always studying and writing academic papers and doing research in libraries. So it sounds like it was more of a whole body experience. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. It was, and so accessing the the spiritual and the intellectual through the body what that was a new um, that was new to me. It also gave me a sense you know once I learned how to be back there and I wasn't falling and scraping myself and full of blisters and bruises um, it it gave me a confidence. Mm -hmm. you know, in my, my ability, but also understanding the limitations of being a human back there, um, having a sort of respect. I, I also think that no one sh will ever be, should ever feel 100% comfortable back there, that part of a wilderness is feeling that, that you are challenged. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and that, say you're, uh, you know, you've been back there, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times and you're walking across the, you know, the rocks to go get your water from the creek. Like, even though you've been back there so many times, you have to be very careful as you're stepping on these rocks. Like, mm -hmm. it might be morning and they might be slippery when they're mm -hmm. not... Um, in the afternoon and you have to be careful where you step and so it just no matter how many times you've been back there it's always a challenge you always have to kind of have this full body awareness that you don't necessarily have to have when you're uh, walking through the halls at at work mm -hmm. or sitting mm -hmm. on your couch watching <clears throat> watching tv so there's a mindfulness that is necessary uh, just to be paying attention mm -hmm. and not be, you know, in your head mm -hmm. thinking of plans in the future. Yeah. How, what would you say to women who are now middle-aged, post-middle-aged, who are at the point of their life where they have opportunities that they may not have had before? Maybe if they've had kids, they've launched. Maybe their mm -hmm. careers are wrapping up. Maybe they really want to figure out what's more for them, what they'd like to do that's different and fulfilling. And they're interested in learning about the wilderness. What, what do you think would be um, a good start? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, there are, again, there are outfitters who will take you back into the wilderness. I mean, a, a good example is the Grand Canyon, which there are many wilderness trails on the Grand Canyon, but even the, even the more traveled 
uh, routes like the uh, Bright Angel Trail, you can hire an outfitter to take you down on a mule, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and pack your stuff. Well, you can do that in almost any wilderness area. Hire someone who will you know, assist you to go in. But mm -hmm. if you're a more adventurous type, I would say definitely, you know, read some books on wilderness backpacking, maybe find a wilderness near you because 5% uh, of the U.S. and wilderness actually exists throughout the, the globe. Uh, find a wilderness area near you, even if it takes a, a day or two to drive there, and go for, you know, after you've learned, um, you know, how, how, what to pack for your, for backpacking, go on maybe a two-day trip where you hike mm -hmm. in for five miles, set up your backpack and your stove and your, I mean, set up your tent and your stove and your, um, you know, get your food out and then maybe stay for a day at that, at that spot and do a little day hike and then backpack out. Uh, I'm really, I would really uh, encourage people just to do a backpack because there's something exhilarating about carrying everything you need mm -hmm. on your back. And you have you have carried it, and uh, then um, living off of that. I mean, it's it it gives you this insight into being human uh, mm -hmm. and aging. Uh, that that because in a way that's that's what we do in life. I mean, we accumulate all this stuff, but really we come in and we go out with what with what we you know with what mm. with just our bodies and so it gives you this really strong sense of what it means to be human my parents by the way who are in their 80s still backpack with us oh wow that's a real theme here i mean mm -hmm. certainly there's the woman theme but mm -hmm. you know that as you said you didn't go until you were 45 and mm -hmm. connie was still doing work into well into her 70s so that's not something that you would say to to women listen if you're over 30 it's too late you're yeah. saying right yeah that yeah. that this is an opportunity for you do you do any physical training before or would you would you advise people to do any physical training before they undertake a even an entry level wilderness backpacking trip? Yeah, I think, I don't think you have to, I mean, it, you don't need as much physical training as you think you would. I mean, I think um, having a little bit of strength is good. So, um, you know, just a little bit, maybe doing some planks or something <laughs> every day. And uh, mm -hmm. the big thing is flexibility and core strength, uh, because if you're mm. if you're backpacking, you really what you need is core strength because you're walking on uneven ground. You might uh -huh. be crossing a creek, and if you have even like a, a twenty pound backpack, which would be fine for like a, a couple of days in the wilderness, um, then you. Uh, yeah, you you need that core strength, but I mean to be honest, my mother 
has never been a gym person, uh, and she she still goes back there with her backpack and <laughs> without any training. She just mm. uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I just I think mm-hmm. it's. I just think it's something that I would encourage anyone to do. But there's also a saying that everybody wants to go into the woods until it's time to go into the woods. Aha. I can appreciate that. I mean, even doing certainly not that kind of wilderness, but Uh you know, the, the insects can be brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, at least in the area where we are in the northern Rockies, it's best to go in in the spring and the fall if you don't want to deal with insects. Mm-hmm. But you you can. That's the other thing is is definitely call the the ranger stations. Uh, okay. Uh, and find out what the best trails are and what the trail conditions are because it changes weekly in terms of trail conditions. Are you familiar or aware, and I'm sure these exist, of groups of women who do this, um, you know, throughout the country? Are you familiar with I, any? Yeah. Well, I don't know specifically. I do know, like, in the Utah, Colorado, um, you know, the Four Corners area, uh, Utah, Colorado, Arizona. Let's see, what's the other one? down there um uh utah arizona new mexico or wyoming maybe oh the other part of the corner yeah (laughs) anyway they uh there are women groups down there Mm -hmm. uh, i've heard of i have taken uh groups of women out with um an americorps volunteer we took a group of women out uh, women in writing so oh, we, wow. we wrote every day and we backpacked every day and uh, that was like a four-day trip. Um, so, I, you know, that's a good question. I should look, look it up and get you some names. But oh, I it think, would be easy enough for people who are interested to Google that. Yeah. Yeah, wilderness backpacking for women yeah. in the U.S. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I am just really um, enthralled, I guess is the <laughs> word, about, you know, this uh, this idea of hiking into this wilderness. And um, it's, it's clear that this is not only for 20-some folks, mm-hmm. that uh, women have been doing this, older women have really been enriched by this, mm-hmm. and that it would be well worth exploring mm-hmm. for for people who want to do something that feels like it really adds value and mm-hmm. uh, something that would be um, a profound experience. Yeah. I, yeah, one more thing I want to add. I know we've gone over the half an hour, but you're, you're going to edit this down, is that uh, I was actually in India when uh, the border started shutting down in the U.S. in terms mm. of travel when the virus hit. Mm-hmm. And people were sending me, like my mother and, and uh, friends were sending me photos of like the grocery stores being devoid of TP, toilet mm-hmm. paper, and um, shelves being cleared and and 
I was not sure what I was going to find when I got back to the U.S. in terms of food. And I, I couldn't really imagine, and, and in terms of quarantining oneself. But my first, my first thought was, I, I, I can handle this. I've backpacked. Mm -hmm. That self-reliance and confidence you yeah. spoke of. And the isolation. I don't need, yeah. yeah, I don't need, uh, you know, three <laughs> kinds of olive oil. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. Right. And I even thought, oh, I, I have a bunch of backpacking food, dehydrated food in my garage. Mm -hmm. um, just the, the isolation. Um, I know how to be alone. I know mm -hmm. how to be cut off. I know what it's like to have this vast unknown that you're surrounded by. Oh, wow. And I, I can do this. Yeah, wow. I just, like that, like that was my first thought, both on a practical level. Like I've, mm -hmm. I've backpacked for 12 days with, you know, not, not very much toilet paper. Mm -hmm. you know? I've, uh, I, I can eat freeze-dried food for days on end. I, you know, I can actually go without much food because sometimes you have to do that. I've been stranded in a tent for days on end in the rain by myself. You know, I just had this sense like mm -hmm. I, a, and this kind of vastness that's really uh, could be full of danger, but, but you just trust in your, your, uh, your instincts. I just thought I can do this. Wow. So you were developing skills you never knew you were going to need. Right. And yeah. a tremendous resilience that yeah. You know, who knew how applicable that would be um, as we've been all dealing with COVID and the challenges mm -hmm. of our lives being mm -hmm. turned upside down. Yeah. Well, DJ, it was so interesting um, and inspiring to speak with you. And um, I just wanted to say again, your, your book, your new book, Remote, is out. It's a fascinating look at... Uh, DJ's relationship with the wilderness and and also how she learns about her family um, and their own history in this remarkable remote place. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Nicole. And um, yeah, good luck with your own remoteness back there in New York, which seems much more remote right now these days. Yes, upstate New York is, people always think when you travel, they think if you say you're from New York, you live across from the Empire State Building. <laughs> right. And I say, no, we're actually <laughs> equidistant to Toronto. Yeah. So it's yeah. very different. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much. Okay, it, was, it was really too. interesting to speak with you today. Okay, thanks, Nicole. What an interesting interview with DJ. Uh, we talked about her book remote and how she was able to deal with the COVID virus because she had had the experience of backpacking for days in the wilderness with very little on her back with her her dehydrated food with her tent and she found that she had a resilience she 
maybe didn't really appreciate that she had developed um, a real flexibility and uh, a a real self-reliance. And so when she had to deal with COVID, she felt like she was ready. That was a very interesting uh, twist in the interview. What an interesting talk. And it sounds like there are definitely ways to start small if you're interested in wilderness backpacking. She talks about contacting groups and contacting people who do this for a living. Um, And that would be a really good way to start. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. Hello, Zesties. I want to tell you about one of my all-time favorite exercise and stress reduction tools, which I am really relying on during this quarantine. But I've sung its praises for years. The benefits are seemingly endless. Uh, It's great for toning and strengthening muscles. It improves your lymph system, your metabolism. It helps with joint pain and balance. And it's even used by NASA astronauts because it's such an efficient way to exercise. And if you're older or you're worried about your balance, you can order a stabilizer bar to hang on to. I'm talking about my NEDAC Rebounder mini trampoline. I put on my music and I have my own dance party. Because for me, exercise needs to be fun and invigorating. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. Now is not the time for the philosophy of no pain, no gain, because we're in enough pain. This is a way to feel good and energized and have fun. It really does help mood as well. And I like that NEDAC is made in the USA and it is really solid. I've had mine for 15 years and it's still in great shape. The NEDAC Rebounder will help us get through this quarantine in better shape mentally and physically. And there's also a model that folds up if space is an issue. One of my clients puts it on her driveway and uses it while she's watching her kids during the quarantine. Anyway, I can't recommend NEDAC rebounders enough. They are a worthwhile investment in your health and overall well-being, especially now. If you are interested in a mini trampoline, please don't buy a cheap one. Those can be actually dangerous, and it is really worth uh, investing in a good quality one. And right now, if you use the coupon code just for Zestful Aging listeners, the code is Zestful, they are going to include a free cover for you. So go to NEDAC.com, it's N-E-E-D-A-K.com, and if you have any questions, you can contact me at ZestfulAging.com. I really am their biggest fan. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. 
But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.